Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Last July in Panama City Beach, Florida, um, the Ursray family were there enjoying the beach and hot summer day and the waves and the cool breeze and all of that. They were enjoying it very, very much. And as they were swimming, two of their sons got caught in a riptide. Do you know rip current? Do you know what I mean? I can't really explain it well, except it's just a fast moving current that rushes away from the beach. And if you get caught in it, it'll sweep you out into deeper water. And you're not usually strong enough to swim against that current to get back to shore. Now, lifeguards and the signs of the beach tell you that what you need to do is swim parallel to the shore and you can get out of that riptide, but those kids didn't do that. They were getting carried further and further away from the beach. The mom had gotten out of the water. She saw there was a boogie board and there was no kid, kids and she realized that they were getting swept out. So she jumped in, even though everybody said they're caught in a riptide current, don't do that. She jumped in and started swimming out too. Other members of the family started going out to try to rescue them and bring them back, but they all wound up getting stuck out there, about eight of them. And what happened next was absolutely amazing, and this is why it made the news. About 80 different strangers on the beach formed a human chain locking arms, holding hands, and they waded out in the water. It was nearly 100 yards long, and they got out far enough to they were about 10 feet or so away from where the people were that were stuck out there in the 15 feet of water. They were out there hooked onto each other. Someone had a boogie board and they actually swam that last little distance and got them into the the human chain and they passed them along the line back to shore where they were saved. That's amazing rescue total strangers, people volunteering, hazarding their own lives, forming a human chain in order to rescue this family that was stranded and stuck in this ripped current. They could have drowned. In fact, one of the grandmothers in the family had actually gone out to try to rescue the boys. She suffered a heart attack while she was out there, and they were able to bring her to shore and get her you know, the hospitalization and care that she needed. By them trying to rescue their family, they actually endangered themselves. They needed someone else to come along, join arms, and rescue them. Uh, That's a picture of why this issue of fellowship is so important. Community is so important in the church. When you think about what does it take for someone to really grow spiritually and become more like Christ, what does it take for someone to really overcome their their hurts, their habits, their uh, hang-ups that they have, the addictions that they have, what does it take to really grow spiritually, what does it take for someone to really even meet Christ and come to salvation? It takes community. Yeah, you can have Bible studies, and yes, there could be great worship, and yes, there could be you know, lovely facilities, and all these things are important, and God uses those things to bring people to Christ and help them grow in Christ. But ultimately, you can't grow unless you're linking arms with other people in community, in fellowship. And so that's why one of the things that we talk about at the chapel, one of the things that we emphasize is that if you really want to be a growing Christian, Yes, you need to come and believe. Yes, you need to fill your mind with God's truth and think about what he says. But I want to say to you that it really will not go anywhere. You won't go anywhere spiritually unless you're linking arms with other Christians in community. Not just being together, sitting in the same row at church but actually serving together, working together, praying together, talking together, building each other up and encouraging each other. Show the next slide, Frank. You remember several weeks ago when we introduced our theme for the year that God is on the move, we used the analogy of the wind of the Spirit blowing and leading people to salvation. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3, that the, the Spirit blows where he wills, and you don't know where he's coming from, you don't know where he's going, but that's the power of the Spirit. God is on the move, even if you don't think you can see it, he's still moving and working in people's lives. And we said that maybe the way that we join up with God as he's on the move. If, if he's the wind, then we need to raise the sails of our lives. Raise the sail of our church and catch the wind 
and move forward. And so we've been talking about ways to raise the sail, to catch the wind of the Spirit, to, to be on the move with God and to move forward with Him. And today, what we want to emphasize is how important community is for us to move forward spiritually, to link arms with other Christians as well. God's Spirit leads us to salvation. It's God's Spirit who opens our eyes and our hearts to understand God's truth and apply it to our lives. But it's ultimately God's Spirit that stirs in us and moves in us and gives us a hunger and a desire and the ability to join up with other people in community. It's the Spirit's community. It's the Spirit moving in the family of God. It's the Spirit of God that leads us home. If you get in step with the Spirit, He will lead you home. He will lead you to the family of God and lead you to link up and join up with other Christians because you won't be able to grow spiritually unless you do that, unless you're in community with others as well. I'd like you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Galatians in the New Testament, one of the letters of Paul to an early group of Christians. And we want to talk about what it means to be at home in the family of God. Well, one of the things that it means to be at home with the family of God is that you keep in step with God's Spirit. You walk with the Spirit. You follow the Spirit because the Spirit will lead you to the family of God. He will lead you home. And he will lead you into unity and connection and cooperation with other Christians as well to help you grow spiritually and to help them grow spiritually also. So in Galatians chapter 5, we're actually going to start reading at the end of chapter 5 and then go in, uh, down into chapter 6. I want you to notice several ways that the Spirit leads us to the family of God and leads us into a deeper connection with other Christians as well. So we're going to start reading at verse 25. This is on page 975 if you'd like to use one of the uh, copies of the Bible, hardback Bibles in front of you there in the chair. <clears throat> if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor." for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, the Apostle Paul has just challenged the, the Galatian Christians to make sure that they're not living their lives trying to earn God's approval, work for God's approval, but rather to receive God's love and approval by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, to understand that Christ has done the work for them. And because he has done the work for them to be accepted by God and welcomed into his family, now they can live according to God's spirit. God's powerful presence can come into their lives, and if they yield to his leadership in their lives, if they do that, he will guide them, he will prompt them and direct them, and he will empower them and produce fruit in them that will truly glorify God and, and really make their lives so fulfilling and, and so abundant as well and, and put them into a deeper connection with other believers also. So the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, he talks about in verse uh, 16 of chapter 5, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk according to the Spirit and follow the lead of the Spirit, 
let the Spirit direct us as we walk about our lives, then, then we will not gratify the sinful nature, the, the lust of the flesh. In verse 18, it says, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. We need to allow the Spirit of God to direct us. So we're not about keeping rules and regulations and, and rituals, you know, you know, check them off on a checklist. Did I do this or not? Did I not do that? No, the, the, the rule that we live by as Christians is, am I being led by the Spirit? Is the Spirit directing me? Am I letting Him direct me? That's the only rule you really have to follow in the Christian life. Is the Spirit of God leading me in this situation? Am I doing what He would want me to do? Now, the Spirit will always lead you in a way that's consistent and appropriate to what the Word of God teaches. But really, what you need to focus on is not a bunch of commandments, but rather focus on, am I being led by God's Spirit in this situation? So then when we get down to verse 25, we read, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that word if is important there. Some Bible translations um, state that that word is the idea of sin. Because we are living in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. I think the challenge for us is to understand that it is a conditional statement. It, it, it's, it's, there's a bit of uncertainty there. Are you going to let this, are you living in the Spirit or not? Do you really belong to Christ or not? Are you letting the Spirit lead you or not? It's your choice. What are you doing? Are you letting the Spirit of God lead you? And it says, if you are letting the Spirit of God lead you, then you will keep in step with the Spirit. You'll follow after the Spirit. We had a fun day yesterday. In fact, yesterday must have been the day when everybody was getting married because I knew so many people that were having weddings yesterday. It was wonderful. I'm so happy for them all. But the wedding I got to go to, that I was privileged to be part of, uh, when we were done the service here at the church and we went to the reception, they had some dancing. And I know some Christians don't like dancing, but I think it's okay. I'll let you know that and you can talk about it later with me if you want. But uh, anyway... uh, I just thought it was interesting because there were people that were dancing and they obviously knew what they were doing. They just flowed gracefully on the floor. And then there were other people who thought they could dance, but it was very obvious that they did not know. And then there were those of us who were so chicken that we didn't even, you know, we stayed about 30 yards away from the dance floor because we didn't want to hurt anybody or anything or embarrass ourselves too terribly bad. Some of us have rhythm, some of us don't. But one of the things that's so important when it comes to dancing is you've got to be able to follow the lead of your partner. Your partner follows your lead if you're dancing together in a way that really looks beautiful and is fun and nobody gets their foot broken in the process. You have to follow the lead of the Spirit. You have to keep in step with Him. Your life is like a dance. It's like a, you know, not a forced march. The Spirit of God is leading you in a way to bring glory to God and He wants us to keep in step with Him by following His direction, yielding to His promptings, letting, us, letting Him fill our lives and empower us to move forward to bring glory to His name, to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we're called to do. That's our great privilege. That's the one thing that you need to be concerned about in life. Am I keeping in step with God's Spirit because He wants to lead me to honor Him? And the thing is, is if you follow the lead of the Spirit in the context of this passage, if you follow the lead of the Spirit, He's going to lead you home. He's going to lead you into a deeper relationship with other Christians. He's going to connect you to the family of God. That's where the Spirit's going to lead you. He's not necessarily going to lead you on top of a mountain just to pray and meditate all by, yourselves in, by yourself in isolation. He's not going to lead you to hide in a dark room because of shame or guilt. He's not going to lead you that way. He's going to lead you into a connection with other Christians. He's going to lead you to hook up in a good way, a godly way to rely upon and depend upon other Christians and let them connect with you. And, and be blessed and benefited by your love and your support as well. Now, the thing is, is that the first thing that the, real, the Spirit really has to deal with in our lives, we have reasons we don't want to be around other Christians. We, we don't think we need other Christians or maybe we're ashamed of ourselves or, or, or something about ourselves, maybe our past, maybe what we look like, maybe what, you know, our, our educational status or, or economic status, whatever it is, there might be something in our mind and our thinking that keeps us from really connecting with other believers and joining forces with them. 
And really, at the, at the core of all that, it's our pride. It's our, it's our pride. It's our sense of, I either don't need them or I'm embarrassed as to who I am. It's kind of a negative pride that way. And I, I want to look better and I'm not. And that's why then in verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Don't be conceited. Don't have this exalted view of yourself. Don't have this idea that you don't need other Christians because you desperately do. Let me say it this way, just make it a little more practical. If you're not part of a growth group, if you're not part, if you don't have a prayer partner or an accountability partner, if you're not part of a Bible study group or, or, or some other prayer group where you're joining forces regularly with other Christians and you say you don't need that, that's conceit. You're saying you're better than them. And you're not. Nor am I. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We, we can't allow ourselves to go around just by our anger and our pride pushing the buttons. That's the idea of the provoking. You know, pushing the hot buttons of other people to get them angry, to get them upset. Nor are we to go around coveting and envying and wanting what they have and getting angry that we don't have it because they've got it. No, in all of this, we need to learn humility. If you follow the lead of the Spirit, if you're letting the Holy Spirit lead you, He will lead you to practice humility. Now, one of the more unusual fishes of the sea, I think, is the puffer fish. Frank, why don't you show that next slide? Okay, so I, I don't know a lot about marine biology, but this is a puffer fish. And if you were to see one of these fishes at the aquarium, and I have before up in Pittsburgh, they actually just look like a regular old fish. They're, they're very, you know, they just, they're very fishy looking, okay? And uh, the thing is, is when they're threatened, they will either fill themselves up with air if they're near the surface, or they'll fill themselves up with water, and they just expand to look very big, and it looks like they've got all kinds of prickly things on the side and all of that, and then they just float along, and it actually intimidates and frightens predators, and they let them go. I saw a video on uh, YouTube of an otter over in Africa, a river otter, trying to catch a puffer fish, and when he grabbed the fish, the fish inflated himself, and and the, the otter couldn't take him underwater to, to get away to his, uh, his den with his fish and eat him for dinner. And the narrator said he actually was, the, the puffer fish was actually saving the otter's life. And I never really thought of it that way, but it is important because this is actually one of the most toxic species of fish that lives in the ocean. Its gallbladder is, is highly poisonous. It's the toxicity, the, the, the degree of uh, toxins and poisons in its body, if, if you were to somehow digest it, it would be 1,200 times stronger, more poisonous than cyanide. That one fish, it has enough poison to kill 30 people, 30 human, adult humans, just with, with that. And, and so when you, when you see that, and it makes you understand that you know, the puffer fish is saying, you know, you don't want to eat me, you don't want to eat me, and I don't want to be eaten, you know, it'll hurt you and it'll hurt me. And so he inflates himself to try to scare the other guy away. Okay, where are we going with this? A lot of us Christians are like puffer fish. We fill ourselves up with our pride. We think we don't need any other, anybody else, and that pride is so toxic to our relationships. I bet you, if you were to sit down with a pad of paper, if you were talking to a counselor or maybe one of the pastors or a friend, and you started listing maybe the things that are difficult in your marriage, or t- pick a friendship, and you're talking about the things that are difficult in that friendship, your roommate in school, what's hard to get along with him or her, or, or those coworkers, your boss, and you just looked at your human relationships and you started listing the things that are wrong, things that are difficult, things that are hard, maybe even a little toxic in those relationships. I bet you if you boiled all those things down, it would eventually come back to pride. And you're thinking, yeah, their pride. I think we need to be honest and say, where does our pride fit into it? Where does my pride and my selfishness fit into this argument I'm having with my roommate at school? Where does my pride fit into the the disagreement, the argument I've had with my husband or my wife? 
maybe I'm not getting along with my coworkers, and it's not because they're unlearned or they're unskilled or they don't respect me. Maybe it's my pride that's getting in the way. At Celebrate Recovery, they tell everybody, you clean up your own side of the street first. You deal with your own issues first. And you trust God to work in their lives and bring them to you. So think about your own side of the street. What kind of pride issues are affecting and poisoning? Have I puffed myself with this inflated view of who I am? Paul says, don't be conceited. If you keep in step with the Spirit, He leads you to humility, admitting that you have a need, admitting that you have a need for others' help, admitting that you were wrong, that I failed, that I disappointed, that that I need to repent from something and I should do that by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit leads us to put off conceit and put off provoking others and put off being envious of others and instead walk the path of humility. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to be humble people. Not a doormat that others walk over and take advantage of, but someone who humbly admits, I need you and I think you need me, but I know I definitely need you. And I'd like to serve and work and connect together. I'd like to do that. Okay? So if you're following the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, He will lead you home. He will lead you the family, to the family of God to be a deeper and a deeper connection with other Christians. But it starts with dealing with that pride and conceit that we naturally have. He leads us to practice humility. But not only does He lead us to practice humility, He also leads us to pursue holiness. The Holy Spirit leads us to pursue holiness. I mean, He is the Holy Spirit after all, right? The Holy Spirit. He's going to help us pursue holiness. A life that honors God. A life where we turn away from sin and we turn wholeheartedly to God and we surrender to Him to do His will. Look at what verse 1 of chapter 6 says. It starts off saying brothers, and your footnote there in the English Standard Version, or maybe even the NIV might say this, or one of the other newer translations, it points out that even though the word in in the original language does mean brother, in that culture of the first century world, they would use that word to mean brothers and sisters. And so it's important to understand that this is all of us included here, not just the men, not just the boys. So we could say, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual, in other words, people who are being led by the Spirit, people who are keeping in step with the Spirit, if you are being led by the Spirit, you should restore him, the person who's caught, who's entrapped in a transgression, you should restore him in a spirit of, what's it say, what's that next word? Gentleness. Okay, that's what the ESV says. In a spirit of gentleness or spirit of humility, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, what's important to see here is that God's Spirit does lead us to live a life that honors God, that we practice holiness, that we turn away from sin and turn to God with all our hearts. That we don't just stay practicing our sin and so grateful that God forgives and God loves us even though we're such a mess up. But yes, he does love us and he does care for us and he is forgiving. But he wants us to get out of that mess and to be fully devoted to him. And part of what a family does is help each other do what's right. I mean, that's what discipline is, isn't it? And if you remember when your children were little, you had to discipline them, to correct them. Why? Because they couldn't keep talking back. They couldn't keep ignoring the chores that you gave them to do. They couldn't keep uh, just sloughing off and being lazy in school. You needed to train them, to coach them, to mentor them, to help them. Your parents did that to you, I hope. Your grandparents did it to your folks. Every generation is trying to mentor and train and discipline and teach the next generation coming generations in the family of God we have a responsibility to help each other turn away from sin and fully surrender to God we have a responsibility to do that and the trouble is in our culture today we say judge not lest you be judged that's almost the most famous bible verse now not John three sixteen. judge not lest you be judged don't do that 
you're being judgy, judgmental. That's not what this is about. What this is about is helping each other climb the path of holiness. Like, like a team on an obstacle course, helping each other get over the wall that's a barrier. A group of mountain climbers getting to the summit, helping each other up. A, a group of soldiers swimming across a fast-moving river, helping each other get across. It's about a team all reaching the goal of becoming like Jesus Christ and reaching full maturity, and we can't let each other stay wrapped up, bound up, entrapped. That's what the word there, caught, means, to be ensnared or, or entrapped in our sinful habits, our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. We can't let each other stay there trapped. We have to rescue each other. That's why, that's why they made a human chain at that beach to rescue those swimmers caught in the riptide. We can't just let them drown out there. They'll get exhausted. They'll drown. They'll die. Let's do something. Come. And they went out and they rescued by forming that human chain. You and I, when we look at one another, when we see each other and they're struggling maybe with attitudes that are sinful, we have a responsibility to help and encourage them to remember the truth of what God's Word says, to see things from God's point of view. If they're struggling with a habit that's, that's breaking their lives, breaking up their relationships, it's, it's sinning against God, then we have a responsibility to call them out, help them turn away from that sin. But notice how it says we're supposed to do it. You do this, you restore them, how? with a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because I too could be overtaken with a fault. That's what he says at the end of verse one. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be, be tempted. As many Bible teachers have pointed out, today you're restoring somebody else, tomorrow you might be the one that needs to be restored. Maybe someone needs to come up to you and call you out and say, brother, why don't you come back? Sister, why don't you come back to what God's will is for you in this situation? You see, what I find fascinating in verse one, if, we're, if the Holy Spirit is gonna lead us to pursue holiness, okay, uh, you know, turning away from sin, turning to God with all our hearts, it's actually on two levels here. Yes, very obviously we help someone turn away from their sin and repent and come back to God, but the person that's doing the restoring, more is said to them. There's a holiness in how they do it. There's a correction in how they're to go about doing the restoring. They need to be careful about that too. We have to help each other how, how we do it. If you find yourself excited about correcting someone, okay, that indicates that maybe you need some correction. And so it's really about, Lord, would you just search my heart and humble my heart? And maybe it is working with others and praying for them and not gossiping about the person that's entrapped in this sin. But really, how are we going to help with this? How are we going to restore them? And can I point out just one more big thing in verse 1? This is really, really important. The goal of verse 1, it's restoration. Restoration. It's used in other, that word is used other places in the New Testament to describe fishermen that are, you know, fixing a rip or a tear in a hole of a, a fishing net. They're, they're mending it. It's used in, in ancient, uh, the ancient world. It was a medical term. It could be used to set a broken bone. Uh, but it also has this idea of, of building something, like building a wall and uh, protecting others in the process. You see, it's not, it's not about tearing them down and punishing them. It's about helping them be restored to usefulness. And as we help each other that way, we help ourselves become useful also. It's the family helping each other. It's the family caring for each other. I saw on Facebook this week a couple little kids, the younger brother learned to ride the bike. And his older brother was real quick to run up and give him a big hug. You know, a couple of difference between the two boys. I thought that was a, that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about building each other up and supporting and encouraging each other so that we can move forward spiritually, so we can grow in becoming more like Christ. And frankly, all of us have blind spots. All of us have the pride and conceit, the envy, 
We all are provoked and provoking. And we desperately need the other believers to help us and encourage us. I got to tell you, one of the best things that's happened in my life over the last 20 years is having men in my life to hold me accountable. Men that I meet with every week. Sometimes it was when we were on the phone, even when I was in Vietnam, just checking in. Just checking in. How's it going? How are you dealing with temptation? How are you and Dawn doing, my wife and I? How are you handling those folks at Littlestown Chapel? Are they getting under your skin? Are you doing okay in handling that? You know, what's going on? And all these things, to be able to confess our faults to each other and to pray for each other. I'm thankful that one of my, one of my pastor buddies in the community, he, just, he will ask, how are you doing? He gets a, a copy of my internet report to see where I've been online. And he'll ask me about it. And he'll say, how are you and Dawn doing? And are you having a quiet time? And did you spend time praying this week? And you're thinking, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that stuff, right? A lot of us don't. It's easy to let it go. It's easy to get too busy. We need that accountability. That's what verse 1 is talking about. It's not talking about a tribunal. It's not talking about a court. It's not talking about punishing somebody or, you know, an inquisition. It's not talking about that. It's talking about encouraging and supporting and helping each other pursue holiness. All of us need to grow more like Christ. The Holy Spirit leads His family to do that. So if you keep in step with the Spirit, He's going to lead you home. He's going to lead you to, to practice humility so that you'll let other people into your life and he will help you to practice holiness, to pursue holiness so that you'll let them in to actually do something that will last for eternity in your life, something that will really matter. But there's something else that the Holy Spirit does when he leads you home. There's something else that when you keep in step with the Spirit, he will help you do. And, and this may seem super obvious, but it's interesting that Paul spends the next nine verses talking about this one issue. He tells us why we need to do it, and he tells us how to do it. And it's simply this. If you are led by the Spirit, he will lead you home. He will help you prioritize helping others. You will prioritize helping others. In other words, you'll serve. You'll get involved in lifting the burdens that other people have because you need to have your burdens lifted as well. Look at verse 2. Gives a command here, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Now, it doesn't really say what the burdens are. That's because it's probably wide open. It could be a variety of things. Maybe they have a deep need for prayer and they're struggling. And so your burden that you're carrying is to spend extra time, extraordinary time praying for them. When they come to mind, you stop what you're doing, you bow your head. God, would you just help my brother, my sister, my friend? Would you please help? And maybe you're aware of some of the missionaries, what they're struggling with, or a family in church, what they're struggling with, or maybe that accountability partner or that prayer partner, they've told you something and, and we need you to, and it comes to mind and you stop and you pray. You're bearing that burden with them in prayer. Maybe it's actually financially giving and helping somebody much like what you did the other week when you gave so generously to help Pastor Tun and his wife Deborah with their medical needs. Thanks again for doing that. I'm grateful. Maybe it's actually saying, you know what, I understand that the children in kids' church need someone in that little small group of those first, second, and third graders. They need somebody to teach them, somebody to coach them, somebody to mentor them and pray with them. And I'm willing to take that burden on. I can give 90 minutes of my Sunday morning to do that, to spend time with them. I'm willing to pick up that burden and do that. I'm willing to go sit with the person that's in the hospital recovering from their surgery. I'm willing to go sit with the person that's grieving. Not just at the funeral home when I say, we're so sorry we send our condolences, which is good. I'm glad you were there. That's really important. But to stop by and just say, hey, let's have some tea. Let's have a cup of coffee. I just, I just want to know how you're doing. I care about you. Maybe it's going and helping someone move and assisting them in that way. Maybe it's actually physically doing something, lifting, 
sweating, exerting yourself to carry the burden. And the thing is, he says that when you do this, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all that you have and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law of Christ. That's what he commands us to do. If you're loving your neighbor and you're loving God, you're doing everything that God expects. You don't have to worry about a checklist of rules and regulations anymore. Do I really love God? Am I really fully devoted to him? Am I loving others? Am I, am I really serving them like I love myself? Am I helping them? Not just having a warm feeling toward them, affection toward them, but I'm actually practically getting my hands and feet dirty serving with them, helping them? Am I doing that? You're fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, Jesus is not asking you and I to do something that he has not already done for you. Because when Jesus showed his love for you in the greatest way, he picked up a burden and carried it. He carried his cross. And as he trudged through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying the, the cross beam of that cross, that heavy wooden cross beam, as he's carrying that, he collapses under the burden, but he gets back up and he walks until finally he collapses and cannot carry it anymore. And then they recruit Rufus to come and pick it up and carry it. But when he gets to that hill and he's stripped of his clothes, and they nail him to that cross and they hoist him in the air, he was carrying an even heavier burden. Your sins and mine. My guilt and shame and yours. And he did that. He carried that. He carried it so that we wouldn't have to carry it anymore. So we can be forgiven and accepted by God. You see, Jesus, by going to the cross, yes, he exemplifies exactly what he's saying in verse 2 and following. But even more than that, he carried away the very things that weigh us down, that keep us bound in our sin and our shame, our guilt, our pride, our lust and fear and greed and anxieties. He carried those away. When we trust in him, the burden is lifted. And we're free to go carry the burdens of others. Not to impress them. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to impress anybody. Not to impress God. He already loves us and fully accepts us. Jesus carried that burden away of the expectation of impressing God. We don't have to do that anymore. He did that on the cross. He fulfilled his own law. How about that? So now you and I can follow him in the Spirit, with the Spirit's help, and we can bear the burdens of other people as well. And so he goes on and explains even further. Now, if you think you don't need to carry the burden of other people, you think that you're superior to them, you can't get dirty, you're above them, somebody else, some social agency should help them out, some other government agency should do that, some other committee at the church should help them, not me, I don't need to get involved. If anyone thinks he is something, <laughs> in reality, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You don't deceive anybody else. You just deceive yourself. Everybody else knows that you're too stuck up. You're too prideful. You're too conceited. You're too holier than thou. And that's why you're not involved. The problem is you, not, not the people who need your help. You think you're something when you're not. You deceive yourself. But instead, what we need to do is examine our own hearts. And that's what he says in verse 4. But let each one test his own work. Examine his own work and see, am I really living a life that does bring glory and honor to God? And then he will have reason to boast, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And you might be saying, now wait, 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 wait a minute. This is confusing. We're supposed to carry other people's burdens, and now you say we're supposed to carry our own load. What does this mean? What it simply means is this, is we are called to carry the burdens of other people because Christ has already carried our burden, our deepest, heaviest burden. But we do need to understand that ultimately the day will come when we will all stand before God and we will have to give an account to Him and we will, and see it's all future tense there in verse 5, we will carry His own load. It's the idea, it's a metaphor of saying you do have a load you're carrying and that is simply you're going to have to give a report to God for how you lived your life. 
you're accountable to Him. Did you love others like Christ loved you? Did you let Christ's love flow through you? Did you let God's Spirit lead you? Or were you prideful and conceited? Were you envious? Were you provoking others and provoked by others? How did you live your life? Did you let the Spirit of God lead you home and connect you with other Christians or not? And so there is a day of accountability. There is a day of answering. We need to help and carry each other's burdens because of the law of Christ. That's the reason. Christ has lifted our burden, he's fulfilled his own law, and now we follow him and copy him by doing the same thing. We love our neighbors as ourselves as well because that's what he did with us. We were his neighbor and he loved us. We're responsible to God for that. But then he expands a little further what this carrying the burden means. In verse six, he says that there's even a financial issue here. And he says, let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. That word share there means to give a financial share to. Let them participate financially. Let them be a financial partner. Be a financial partner in their life. And so he's just simply saying, you need to, you need to take care of the people that are teaching God's word to you. You need to share good things with them, all good things. Take care of them. And I just want to say, I'm just so grateful that Little Sound Chapel does that in a generous way in my life. And in Pastor Josh, Pastor Dan, and uh, Jessica Robinson and Vicki Collins, you just support the staff, and I'm thankful for that. That's grateful. You're doing what verse 6 says to do. We need to care for each other. But not only are we to care for each other financially when it comes to the teaching of God's Word, but we need to be caring and supporting one another as well because there are others who have financial burdens, the widows in our midst, the orphans in our midst, the others who are hurting and broken, the others who have lost their jobs, the others who have gone through great financial hardships, we need to be lifting the burdens financially that way as well. And you might be wondering, why is this an issue? Well, I want you to notice what verse seven says. And this is a verse that is very important. I think it is talking about our giving and our finances and sharing with one another and how we care for each other. It's a broader principle. It's a, it's a set of verses that's often pulled out of context sometimes. And it's important that we see it here in the middle of all this about caring for each other and bearing each other's burdens, carrying their loads. In verse seven, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The reason why we need to, a second reason why we need to carry each other's burdens is not only the law of Christ, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves because that's how he loved us, but there's the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest, you know what that is? If you plant this type of seed, you plant watermelon seeds, guess what you grow later if you take good care of those seeds? You grow watermelons. If you plant pumpkin seeds or gourds, you're going to get those. You plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes. You don't plant corn and get radishes. You don't. You, what you plant is what you reap. That's kind of obvious. Duh. Thanks, preacher. Glad you studied some agriculture. The point he's trying to make here is you and I think that we can go through our lives. Paul is saying this to his readers. You think that you can be skimpy in how you treat other people. You think that you don't have to carry their burden and yet you expect God to really bless you because you're a Christian. You think that you can ignore and hold yourself aloof from other people and not be involved in helping them and you think that God's gonna answer all your prayers and and really bless you. We know God does mercifully answer prayer and he is so gracious. He really is. But frankly, he calls us to invest, to plant the seeds of our financial generosity, of our hard work, of our prayer life, of our care and compassion, of our time. We plant those kinds of seeds into our relationships and we get a harvest out of that of community and connectedness and love and mutual affirming and support. We get that kind of a harvest. If we're aloof and we're not involved with other people, and we don't build friendships and we don't reach out, we wonder, how come nobody likes me? How come nobody takes time to talk to me? They're so unfriendly. You know, what do they say? What's the vitamin you take to have friends? You already know what I'm going. This is a dad joke. What do you got to do to have friends? You need that vitamin, B1. Duh, okay. You just got to go B1, be a friend. That's, that's, that's what you need, B1. You need vitamin B1, B1, be a friend. You get it yet? Okay, all right. 
Lord, the burdens I carry. Okay. <laughs> Nobody knows. Okay. Uh, listen to what verse 8 says. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Now, if you go back into chapter 5, and if you look at verses 19, 20, and 21, you'll see the, the works of the flesh. It's all this selfish living, sinful living, destructive, relationally destructive, personally destructive living. That's the results of living according to the flesh. And that's what he's talking about. You'll reap from the flesh. If you live selfishly, if you live for yourself, if you live to satisfy your own desires and appetites and don't care and don't get involved with anybody else, this is the kind of harvest you're gonna reap. Anger, bitterness, fighting with other people. You'll be isolated. You'll have all this. And that's the result. Because that's what you planted, that's what you're going to reap. But if you plant to the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you get things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And I always forget one, but it's still there, nine fruit of the Spirit. And that's the result of planning to the Spirit. And that's what he's talking about when he says eternal life. He's not saying you're going to go out and earn eternal life. He's not saying that. He's saying that the way you live, if you live according to the Spirit, these are the characteristics of people who have eternal life. You see it in their lives. And these people, these folks who live selfishly, these are the characteristics that you will see in their lives. It's destructive. It's corruption. And so... We have this warning. We've got to carry each other's burdens. We need to invest our finances and time and physical energy and effort to care for and help and serve, use our spiritual gifts, use our talents and our abilities, use the stories that God has given us of our journey with, with Jesus. Use all of these things to help and build up others. And we need to do that because of the law of Christ. He lifted our burden when he died on the cross for our sins. He carried his cross and carried our burdens away. And because of the law of the harvest, that what you reap is what you have already sown, not something different. Whatever you plant is what you harvest. Plant to the flesh, plant to sinfulness, plant to selfishness, that's what you're going to reap, broken, corrupted relationships. You sow to the Holy Spirit, you keep in step with Him, and you'll get the love, joy, peace, patience, and you'll get healthy, strong relationships as well. You see, the Holy Spirit will lead you to prioritize carrying the burdens of others. And one of the reasons he does that is because the law of the harvest, whatever you invest in is what you're going to reap. Whatever you plant is what you're going to gather. Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. He encourages us here. He says, don't grow, grow weary in doing good. You feel like quitting. You feel like giving up. You want to write that person off. You want to leave that growth group. You want to quit that accountability. You want to turn your back on that child or that spouse that just irritates you and frustrates you. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So keep walking in the Spirit. Keep planting to the Spirit. Keep following the lead, the Spirit, and He will make your marriage stronger. He will build a better relationship with your kids. He will help you get along better with folks at work. At least He'll make you a better person to be that friend, to be that caring person, that faithful witness, that loving brother or sister in Christ. He'll keep transforming you. So then, he summarizes and concludes, so then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good, let us serve. That's what this phrase, do good, means. It means to do practically, do practical works of serving others. Again, not to impress God, not to impress others, but because they need a burden lifted, because they need your help. Nobody on that beach that day that formed that human chain was trying to impress anybody. Hey, look at me, hey, there's some TV cameras. I'm going to stand here and link arms now. No, those people were in danger. They were going to die. They were going to drown. Somebody has to lift the burden. Somebody has to go help them. And so they just did. And so as we've got the opportunity, let us do good. Somebody has to help. 
as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's emphatic. We help all people. We show love and respect for all people. We bear the burdens of all people, whether they're the same religion as us, whether they're the same nationality, the same language as us. We lift their burdens and we serve them and we help them. This is to be the characteristic of our lives and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Not to the exclusion of others, but we certainly put a little extra priority on helping our other brothers and sisters in Christ and lift their burdens as well. The Holy Spirit will lead you back home. The Holy Spirit will lead you into community that really is caring and connected. He will lead you to to practice humility. He He will lead you to pursue holiness. He will lead you to prioritize helping others. Where is God leading you? Where is the Spirit prompting you? Some of you are starting to feel a nudge. Where could you start serving? Who could you start helping? Maybe there's something already in your mind. Maybe you need to make a phone call today and and just check on somebody that you haven't heard from for a while and you care about. Maybe maybe it's making an appointment to see them. Maybe you're aware that there's someone that has a financial need and you can just kind of slip an anonymous gift somehow that would help them. You have the resources to do that. Maybe you know that God's been tugging at your heart, that there's a ministry, there's there's a way to serve and you can get involved. You can plug in. Stop by the info desk and tell them. Maybe you're saying, look, this whole community thing, you know, I like just coming to church and doing my own thing. But you know what? I recognize I have to step out of my comfort zone and connect with others. I'd like to join a growth group. If you stop by the info desk, they will help you connect with a growth group because they're still open and you can do that. Okay. God's on the move. His spirit is blowing. One of the ways we catch the wind of the Spirit is by simply letting Him lead us in community. He will do that and bring honor and glory to His name. I hope you'll wade into that water and link arms with others and see just who God will send to you to rescue and help through community. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to give thanks to you for your loving kindness. I want to thank you for the community we have in Christ. I thank you for this church. And Lord, we, we all agree that we're not a perfect church. We know that. We have a lot of growing up to do. But I thank you that you're on the move here. And I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're blowing through the relationships, through the families and through the relationships that we have. Lord, I pray that you would help us truly get in step with the Spirit so that we would get into community with others for your honor and for your glory. I pray that you would deliver us from our pride, our conceit. I pray that you'd help us to see that Jesus lifted the burden when he carried the cross for us. Thank you that we now can carry the burdens of others. Help us do that gladly and in your strength. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.